0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, the first to the third verse. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of the associates and, and, and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in the day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Pastor Meek's sermon was unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. Uh, We see that this is a beautiful thing if we can uh, capture it. If we look into the text, we see the unity and diversity. Uh, We see this mosaic-like thing happening amongst the people who are helping rebuild uh, the wall in Jerusalem. Um, He shared there are three points. Um, Activity and and importance are different. Uh, Activity doesn't mean unity. And lastly, unity doesn't mean uniformity. I don't know about you, but I was blessed. Uh, We were reminded that there are different spiritual gifts but the same spirit at work in each of us. Different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit at work. Uh, I seen City Church, as he was preaching, I, I seen City Church uh, being reflected through the text as he talked about the unity and the diversity. If I, as I look into the audience, I see, into the crowd, I see the diversity, and I also see the unity within City Church. And I see us doing something different and great, and for us to be a part of it, is a blessing. It's amazing. Um, God has chosen you. Think about this. God has specifically selected you. He specifically selected you to be a part of this rebuilding, to be a part of this fellowship called City Church. And when you think about that, he chose me. Not because I deserve it or because I'm worth it, but because simply he chose you. And so the people who were rebuilding, God selected them. He chose them. He selected them to be a part of the rebuilding. And for some of them, I'm pretty sure they considered it a privilege. And we've talked about this before. It's something uh, spiritual happens when we look at these opportunities, when God has called us to do something when we flip it instead of it being a burden because we all have a busy lives and we have busy schedules, when we look at at it as a privilege, it changes our work ethic. Um, You also shared, and this question stuck with me, is how often do we ask God? How often do we ask God, is this what you want? I got quiet. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, man,, how often do you ask, "Is this God? Is this what you want?" Oh, I had to take a moment. I had to take a moment to digest that. How often do I ask God, "Lord, is this what you want for me? Does this please you?" So we must answer that question, is this pleasing to God? Secondly, you said, measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. I thought about how many times in my life I just went around cutting. Not measuring, not praying, not meditating, not thinking, just cutting, just making decisions because I chose to. Not because I had the opportunity, but because I just wanted to. And so for us, pastor challenged us, measure twice, cut once. Before we make a decision, before we make a decision, measure before we make the cut. This will also prepare and help us avoid a lot of heartache. Thought about my life. Some of you know my motorcycle story. <laughs> Just decisions. I didn't measure. I didn't calculate. I didn't think. I didn't pray. I, didn't, I said, this is what I want. Had I went to the question before, is, is this what you want, God, for me? And I, he did. He did tell me, "No, this is not what I want for you. I don't want you to have a motorcycle. I don't. I don't. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you don't need it because <laughs> I know you." <laughs> so we have to answer these questions, and I just, I just want to take this time just to to thank our pastor um, because I get a little glimpse into the into the window uh, that he operates. And to, to see the things that he does on a daily basis um, are remarkable. Um, and they take a man of God. And, and, and I'm very, personally, I am, I am thankful uh, and privileged to be able to be a part of just that little glimpse to look through in preparation uh, what ministry looks like and what it takes. And so we know that it takes a, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. I also want to thank his wife uh, because I understand that without her support, he can't do what he's doing. And so I just want to publicly say thank you because I can only imagine the things that have to be, have to be done on a daily basis on top of being everything that you are. Um, getting to the text. Getting to the text we read, and thank you, Charlize, she read this this morning. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burn as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at the side, said, what are they doing? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Which gave me, and as I prayed and I thought about this, Brother Mark, God said, expect opposition. Expect, as believers, all of us should expect opposition Expect opposition. Um, I was reminded of the time where I I, I last spoke here, and I was up, and before I could get up here, there was something that took place at City Church. City Church was broken into, and I remember Sister Stephanie asking me, "What do we do?" And I remember saying, "Well, wait a minute. Let me pray, (laughs) right? Let let me. It was I had to pray to get myself together because." God was ultimately in control, and there was nothing physically that I can do. So all I could do was pray, and after I prayed, I kept calm. I would like to think I kept calm, amen, Uh, and proceeded to do what was necessary. Service went forward. I preached the word, but it's funny because I, I remember Understanding that this is what happens when you've been called. There's always going to be opposition. Satan never wants to see God's word go forth. He never wants to see you show up for Sunday service. Because he understands that when you're here, this is where you get your fuel. Your ammunition. Your energy to fight back. And so I remember my title, First Let Me Pray. I was reminded through Nehemiah who, as we look into the text, as we look through the book of Nehemiah, he always prayed before he moved. Before I do this, I remember the king asked him, what is it that you want? Nehemiah said, first, let me pray. How many of us pray before we move? If you're anything like me, you might just be moving. And the prayer is afterthought. Now, Lord, I know I'm on my way. <laughs> I know you said, right? But if you would see it in your heart to make this work, because I'm halfway there already, so it don't make sense to go back home now, how, many, how much heartache would we uh, uh, avoid if we were just to sit back and say, Lord, what is it that you want? If we would just first let me pray. It's easy to allow life to get you down. It's easy to allow life to distract you from God's plan. It's easy to forget that this life, that in this life, you will have opposition. I want you to know, City Church, in this life, you will have opposition. It's guaranteed you will have opposition. I want you to look at the text, and it says that when Sabella heard this, he was upset, he was angry, he was frustrated. And so when I thought about this, I I, I thought about the text, 1 Peter 4, 12, and it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed." If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glo- for the spirit of glory and the name of God rest on you. I seen this um script uh, this this um this quote, and I was so encouraged by it. I want to read it to you. It says, "Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible history of God's people, they were opposed. We ought not to think that it will be different today." It may be subtle, or it may be in the form of open ridicule. Former friends may sever all ties with us when we become the Lord's disciple. There may be social humiliations and a variety of difficulties and pressures when we are openly faithful to God. We can be sure the more active our faith, the deeper our courage, and the bolder our preaching, there will be opposition. The likes of Sanballat and Tobiah are still here on earth and Satan will use them to provoke us and discourage us. Think about this, think about this, right? As soon as the Jews began to build, you have the haters, if you will, come out of nowhere, sitting back, looking, what are these Jews up to? Some of us may be in this community right now. Some of us understand that when we started rebuilding, there were people and naysayers who said, what are they up to? Why are they trying to revive this old, broken-down building? Because they didn't see what our pastor saw. And when he paid it to vision, some of us didn't catch it. Right? I remember knocking down walls and looking like, I don't know, Pastor, this might not be, because you know I'm not really a labor person, this might not be the one. This might not be it. But it's important for us to remember that, as our faith, as we dig, as we tie our boots, as we get closer to God, we should expect opposition. If we don't see opposition, if we don't feel opposition, then maybe we're not doing this Christian thing right. So, looking at, the, at this, there's three points I want to talk about. Three points of opposition I want to talk about. Three points. The first one The first point of opposition, the first point of opposition is you. It's me. It's you. What is it? James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? For us as believers, our number one opposition is going to be You. When pastor asks you to do something, that pride, that, that not answering the phone, that I, I, I'll get back to him, right? That, that, that you, that's the first opposition. All of us in here, have we wrestle with ourselves. We wrestle with this. This is our, our biggest competition in life will be yourself, right? Some of us understand we've been trying to lose weight, and it's our biggest downfall is ourselves, it's not the gym equipment, it's not the diet, it's us. It's, it's me. I should have a salad, but I want Wingstop. <laughs> I'm being transparent, I, that's literally like, it's salad, <laughs> kale, refrigerator right here, 19 minute wait at Wingstop. <laughs> kale, croutons. Carrots, boiled egg, right here, 19-minute wing stop, $3 in gas. (laughs) Me. Biggest opposition is me. So I'm pretty sure that there, and when um, Nehemiah started to get everybody together, one of the oppositions that he faced was the people and them understanding that I have to get out of the way because it's not about me. And that's the thing about this, this tricky thing about being a Christian. As much as it's about you, it's not about you. Catch that. As much as it's about you, it's not about you. God has saved you. He wants to use you. But at the same time, it's not about you. It's about him. And we wrestle with that because God is, Lord, you're using me. You got me doing this and it's me. And God says, you're right, but it's about me. It's about my glory. It's about my name. So we have to think about this and be aware that our first opposition is going to be the flesh, ourselves, that natural enmity that we have. Opposition number two, unbelievers. Unbelievers. The opposite of believers, right? Right? Those people who do not believe, those people who are, are contrary to what, what we stand for, are number, this is our second opposition. The scripture says that if the world hates you, this is what Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I don't know about you, but there's so many times where I try to go and I try to fit in with the world and they say that's not that's excuse me, that's my seat. That, that uh-uh, get out of here. You don't belong here. We as Christians are not in the world. We we're, right we're not supposed to look and act and walk and talk like the world. There should be something different about us. Jesus told his disciples Look, be encouraged. If they hate you, it's okay because they hated me first. Wear it as a badge of honor because you should understand that this is you planning your allegiance with me. This is how the world recognizes you because you don't fit in. So be encouraged. I can't tell you how many times, and, and think about this expect opposition. Expect opposition. Going back real quickly at the, uh, the flesh, when you think about this, I want to I touch on this real quick. Think about this as the flesh. A lot of times we look at opposition and we're like, oh, man, there's so much opposition. There's so many things, so many people against me. A lot of the, some of the opposition, we erect ourselves. We create the barriers in our lives, the opposition. We can't get to God because of the things we choose to do. Think about that. A lot of the opposition, we like, oh, it's this person's fault, and then we realize it's really me. It's really me. So I want you to think about that when you start to think about the opposition in your life, some of the opponents in your life. Is it really the other person? Is it really the other thing? Or is it you? Unbelievers. We look at Sam Ballot, we see these people, right? Sam Ballot and, and, and Tobiah, and guess what? They're hating, right? That's what haters do. They hate. So they say, Look at the, they over there trying to rebuild the wall. <laughs> Look at this rubble over here. They got burned stuff. They think they're going to be able to re, and then it's always that, that one friend too, right? He came over there, to buy like, Yeah, man, you're right. They over there trying to rebuild the wall. That's crazy, man. Ain't that right, Sam Ballot? They stupid. It's always that one, right? And you want to, ooh, <laughs> you want to talk about them, but you're like, Lord, I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. And, Right? So we got to pray. Right? We got to pray. And so I thought about this. I was really, I was there. I'm like, you see, Sam Ballard, like, yeah, look at these Jews. They're trying to do this. And, and, and Tobiah, like, yeah, yeah, they're trying to rebuild the wall. A fox could break that wall down. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievers don't understand. They can't comprehend. The Bible says that the man without the Spirit cannot accept the things from the Spirit they're foolish to him. I can't. I don't understand what these Jews are up to because the Spirit of God is not at work within me. So a lot of times we have to encourage ourselves and we have to be reminded that the world is not going to understand the things that we're doing. So that's why it's so dangerous for us. And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about it as Christians. When we go to our unbelieving friends and we ask for counsel, when we asked them, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? And they haven't ever opened up a book. Never. And we go to them. Some of them because we feel like they're older. We feel like they have it together. We look at, we look at the clothes. We look at their car, And we say, if you were me, what would you do? Meanwhile, guys guy sitting there looking, is this my child? Asking the world what they should do when they need to come to me? Because the scripture makes it very clear that there's a way that seems right to man, but leads to death. So the world may offer you some good advice that looks good, that feels good, that tastes good, but in the end, bites like a snake. So we have to be careful when we go to the world and we share the world our problems and our issues. And, and I know I'm not the only one, there's times where I've shared my issues, my, my sorrow, my, my the things that I'm going through with the world as a pastor, right? As a Christian, I got this one person I'm dealing with, and, and, this, and I'm talking to somebody of the world. What kind of witness is this? What kind of witness is this? I don't think they're ever going to show up to City Church like, you're dealing with all that? I'm just gonna skate over here to the next. Maybe I'll try, I'll try this out. Maybe I'll try some yoga, right? Some mindfulness. Maybe that'll help me out. Because you're going through too much at your church. You got too much drama, too much, right? Too much gossip. Because the church, see, this is the thing. As you think of, talk about opposition, we get it, we understand. The church, we understand, the church is a hospital. You're going to have hypocrites. You're going to have liars. You're going to have people who steal it. You're going to have this stuff, right? Because we're all in here trying to get some help, amen? amen? All of us have issues. But see, the world doesn't understand that. They expect us to be perfect. So when we go to sharing our issues and we start gossiping about brother and sister so-and-so within the body of Christ, what type of witness is that? So you talk about opposition. Some of the opposition, a lot of the opposition, we've, we created ourselves. So we have, to be, we have to be mindful. We have to be aware. We have to be prayed up. Because when we're prayed up, we see, okay, God, I see what you're doing. Opposition number three, Satan and evil spirits. Satan and evil spirits. So you have the flesh, you have unbelievers. And then you have Satan and his goons, the enemy, right? You have, you have Satan, he says, and um, this, is, this is highly, highly important. Because sometimes as Christians, we wrestle with this and we think, you know, I just don't get it. It's like, I'm trying everything that I can. I'm being patient. I'm being kind. I, 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 I'm, I'm listening, right? i am not. Ta- I'm, I seen last time it was because I was talking too much. I was too busy to, to respond instead of listening, so I'm trying all these different things. And so we look at the scripture, and the Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, the evil, of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, what does that mean? That means that there's going to be a lot of times we forget that this issue that we have with other people right it might be your supervisor it might be one of your employees it might be your coworker it might be your spouse it might be right it might be something in your life and you realize i don't understand what's going on that's because it's not against the flesh and blood it's a spiritual issue that's going on there's a spiritual battle that's why i can only imagine how much time a pastor spends in prayer Because I understand that I can go out there and try to attack physically all the issues, all the quarrels that are happening within City Church. But if I sit back and pray and ask God, and I can only imagine how pastor prayers, God, that's your son. That's your daughter. They said they wanted to be a part. They said they were called. I need you to move because I know me, I'll mess it up. Think about this. Only God, only God knows how to be mad. Think about this. Only God knows how to be mad. Because either us, when we think about, when we get mad, I don't know if you, like me, but when I get mad, either I'm too mad, right, too mad, or I'm not mad enough or I'm mad for too long, or it's all three, right? Some of you may be just like that. Whether you, you get mad, you hold a grudge, and it's forever. You ain't talked to somebody in about 20 years. Like, nah, because the last time I they said this, and I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. They've been trying to forgive. They've been, they've been emailing you, calling. You're just like, nope, right? Or you don't, you don't let people know that you're really mad, so you kind of... They don't really know that you're, they, they, only, they can't even realize that you were ever mad. Like, I didn't know that I offended you, right? So, but only, only God knows how to be mad to the right degree, right? For the right reason and for the right length. Only God. Because if it's left up to us, we're going to do too much. <laughs> Think about it. Some of you right now, like, <laughs> he, was, he was a fly on the wall. He knows what I'm going through. People in our job, they're my fresh... Somebody borrowed your stapler. Borrowed your stapler, hasn't returned, you still mad. Always touching stuff on my desk. Can't have nothing around here. Can I borrow a piece? No, because you didn't turn, return my stapler last. Only God knows how to be mad, right? And then there's certain, and then think about mad for the right reason. Some of us are mad at things that we shouldn't be mad at. Only God knows when, the, only God is righteous with his anger and knows how to, how to deal, deal it out righteously, right? And just the amount of time. And because you think about this, when God disciplines us, when he disciplines us, it's to the right level. I, I don't know about you, but I remember getting a whooping. My dad whooped me. God rest his soul. My dad whooped me so bad. Mark, it, it hurt so bad. Still hurts, <laughs> but let me let me tell you this is what happened. My dad whooped me because, according to him, I had le- yes, according to him, I had left the house and didn't tell anybody. But see, I had told my mama, and my mama forgot to relay the message. So when I got home, mama wasn't there, and back then there was no cell phone. She had a pager, but by the time she would have got the page, it would have been too late. So what happened was, my dad said, where were you? I said, I was down the street at Ronnie's house. He said, no, you're not. You didn't tell nobody. Get, up, get over here. I heard the bell come off the door. I started crying. He whooped me, whooped me, whooped me. It was, it was whooping. Talking Joe Jackson, whooping. <laughs> the pause. Nothing coming out. It's hurting, right? I cry. You know, the... <sighs> I go through the whole process at home, hear my mom come in, <laughs> aftershocks. <laughs> my dad dad comes in, I hear him conversation, yeah, I had to give it to you soon, son, didn't, right? So I <laughs> come down the hallway, <laughs> my mom says, she looks at me, pitiful. <sighs> Babe, I forgot to tell you, he, he, He told me that he was going to his friend's house. (laughs) I told you. (laughs) My dad said, son, I apologize. (laughs) Didn't take away the welts. Didn't take away the aftershocks. Only God knows how to get out the punishment to the right degree for the right reason. All of us, either we do too much or we do too little. So we must understand that this opposition that we're going to face as believers, we should expect it. We should know that when we're growing, look at it as growing pains. As you're getting closer to God, you're spending more time praying with Him. You're spending more time meditating. You're spending more time studying the Word. You should expect opposition because Satan understands that if Stephanie gets on fire, then those around her circle of influence are going to be touched by her. And if she touches them... They're gonna to come to city church and then they're gonna invite other people and then they ain't gonna have no room, right? See, this is how it works. We looked at the text that Pastor Rick talked about when the the, the, the the gospel went forth and they were preaching and it says that the word was received. And guess what? When you receive the word of God, you wanna go out and tell somebody. It's like eating Wingstop, amen? <laughs> have you ever had some wing? No, just, just focus, focus. So, Go, when you share the gospel, when we're growing in God, when we're getting close to him, we want to tell somebody. And Satan understands, but if I can knock you off, right? If I could knock you down, if I could be a little opposition to you, then you can't share the word. If I could discourage you, if enough people don't respond to a text message, It's going to get you a little flustered. It's going to make you want to back off. It's going to make you not want to hug people when they show up. But you understand that I'm not working for people. I'm working for God. And God is the one who's going to encourage me when nobody else is there. I'll share with you as I come to a close. My biggest opposition has been my anxiety. Those of you know, has been my anxiety. There's this thing of not being able to to, to fight it. You can't see it, but you feel it. You know it's there. And and Sister Stephanie, sometimes there's times where I'm sitting there at the edge of the bed, and I I just can't move. I'm paralyzed because of my anxiety. I know that I need to get in the shower, and I need to get ready for work, but I just sit there, and I pray, and I say, Lord, help me. Help me. We, as Christians, must depend on God. A lot of the opposition that we face, God is also trying to use it to help us depend on him. Nehemiah understood this. So how do I deal? You share with me that I have all this opposition, Pastor Nay. How do I deal with it? Well, one, you must pray. Much prayer, much power. Much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. So first we must Pray. We must understand, secondly, that opposition is inevitable. As a believer, John John 16, 33 says what? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't avoid opposition. Embrace it. Don't avoid opposition. Embrace it. James 1, 1 says, James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Think about this. Consider it pure joy. God wants you to consider the the trials, the, the tribulation, the pain, the suffering, the opposition as joy. You have been commanded to consider it Joy because you know that it's going to develop your perseverance. Accept opposition and know that it's all according to God's plan. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, I leave you with this. Don't exchange what you don't know for what you do know. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't exchange what you don't know for what you do know. You might not know why you're going through the opposition. You might not know why it's in your life. But what you do know is that God has died for you. God has saved you. God has called you. And so you can be assured that God is going to get you through it. Amen? So a lot of times we will get so focused on what we don't know. Well, why is God doing this in my life? And I, I just gave $10 and, and I'm trying to do this. And God's like, it's, don't worry about that. Know that I work everything out for your good. Know that I'm, in your, I'm behind you, supporting you. I'm encouraging you. I'm, the Spirit is with you. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. We'll get caught up in what we don't know instead of focusing on what we do know which is the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit is at work within us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.